The average soda has gone from seven ounces to 42 ounces. That's six times as big. And the typical burger has gone from 3.9 ounces to 12 ounces. You know what they call that 3.9 ounce burger now? They call it the Bee Burger. It's just mind boggling, right? And French fries have gone from 2.4 ounces to 6.7. We as humans have not evolved to needing three to six times the amount of food, but we are eating three to six times the amount of food when we die now. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 130 countries around the world and coast to coast here in the U.S. I want to say a special hello to the exam roomies listening today in New Orleans and Hattiesburg, Mississippi and Helena, Montana. I appreciate you being here with us for episode number 90 of season four, number 285 overall. You know, one of the questions that we get all the time here is how can I eat healthy at a restaurant? You want to go out to eat, but it's like there is nothing you can eat. You're worried that nothing on the menu is healthy. Frankly, that concern is not only shared by many, but it is also very valid. Because today on the show, you are going to hear the shocking truth about just how much the restaurant industry may be contributing to the obesity epidemic. Consider this, just one meal, only one meal out of every 1,000 nationwide on restaurant menus meets the standards for having ideal nutrition. Just one out of every 1,000. That is one-tenth of 1% of all appetizers and entrees, desserts, and yes, even salads. So today, Dr. Vanita Rahman and Matthew Reese, the editor of Food and Health Facts Newsletter, they are here to make their case for why America's obsession with eating out is fueling the obesity fire. And they are going to dig into research as far back as the 1950s to really demonstrate exactly what is happening. Food quality is down, but both portions and waistlines are way up. But problems, even ones this big, do present an opportunity. So you will also hear from someone who got so sick and tired of not having any options to eat at that he opened his own chain of plant-based restaurants. Greg Roseboom, a friend of the exam room and founder of Fruitive, will be chatting with us about the way he's been bucking unhealthy trends of massive burgers and buckets of fries in favor of healthy plant-based pizza and Tuscan kale wraps and a little something called the Cacao Pal. We're also going to be talking about how he has been able to overcome challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic and a customer base that is all about keeping it healthy. But before we get to the good with Greg, let's kick things off with a dive into some nutrition knowledge and a look at how, with very few exceptions, eating out might mean snuffing out your health. 
I am very excited to have two experts here with me today. Dr. Vanita Ramad, she is the clinic director at the Barnard Medical Center and author of the new book, Simply Plant-Based, but a delicious recipe book, by the way. And also Matthew Reese, he is the editor of the Food and Health Facts newsletter, as well as a senior fellow at Dartmouth's Tuck School of Business. Thank you both so very much for being here. Thanks for having us, Chuck. Glad to be here, Chuck. Dr. Rahman, uh, simply put, I know that the two of you have paired up to write about this very topic on MedPage today, but let me just ask you flat out, you know, how big of a problem, how much of a contributor to that problem are the foods that we're getting served at these restaurants? Yeah, you know, they're a significant contributor, Chuck. They, um, as we're going to share with you, restaurant meals are really subpar in their nutritional value compared to what they need to be. And they're, we're also getting served these big servings of these subpar meals. So it's a, it's a dual problem. Uh, the food quality and the food quantity both are contributing. I know. Is it a surprise to you to, to see the, the obesity trend tick so much in an upward direction as it is these portion sizes and the types of food that we've been gravitating to since the 1950s? You know, it's, it's always shocking when I heard you give those statistics that the obesity rate was, what, 10% in the 1950s, and now it's well over 40%. It's really concerning, and especially for our youth, and and clearly restaurants are contributing to this, and um, this is something we can change. We don't have to stay in this path. We can change what we choose to eat. This is within our control. Well, I would love to dive into some of the numbers here. I know that you have brought a presentation here with you today. So let me go ahead and bring that up on the screen as well. Um, and so if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook, fantastic. You can play the home game with us. If you're listening to this podcast, then no problem. Click the link in the episode notes and you can watch the presentation as well. And we're going to be talking about it throughout. So don't feel like you're missing out on anything. You're going to get all of the details as well. But uh, Dr. Rahman, uh, let's, let's just dive right into this because this is just such a fascinating topic. And it, it reminds me of when I was still significantly overweight, still well over 400 pounds. And the amount of money that I was spending every single day at restaurants, honestly, I can't even remember cooking anything at home during this time. So this uh, particular paper that you wrote, uh, this article that you wrote and the slides that you're gonna be presenting today, speak to me directly. And I think a lot of people who are also listening and watching us today. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And I know Chuck, you've been so candid about your struggles with food and the and how eating out played a role in it. So let me share some really interesting numbers here with uh, everyone. You know, first we share in this article that the proportions of meals that we're eating on a given day at restaurants is pretty high. So about 46% um, of um, Americans are consuming a fast food meal on a given day. Imagine that 46%. And 30% of Americans are consuming a full service meal. Um, and then 15% are consuming both. Now, really what was um, not just shocking about this was also the, the money that we're spending on restaurant meals. So from 2000 to 2018, our fast food spending increased by 45% to over $300 billion. Just imagine that. And even for full service, our spending increased by 
to over $300 billion. So really staggering numbers there. And that's just in the U.S.? That's just in the U.S., yeah. Wow. Wow, that is a lot of money. Holy moly. And now, but look at this slide. This is from our own CDC showing just how the portion sizes have ballooned in the U.S. You know, the average soda has gone from seven ounces to 42 ounces. That's six times as big. I mean, that's just mind boggling there. And the typical burger has gone from 3.9 ounces to 12 ounces. That's three times bigger. You know what they call that 3.9 ounce burger now? They call it the kitty burger. No, you're kidding. <laughs> you're no. kidding. Yeah, it's just mind boggling, right? And French fries have gone from 2.4 ounces to 6.7. Imagine we as humans have not evolved to needing three to six times the amount of food, but we are eating three to six the, uh, times the amount of food when we die now. That's that's incredible. Uh, Mr. Reese, let me come over to you here. Uh, and, and don't age yourself here. I'm just going to throw this out. Have you noticed throughout your lifetime the portion sizes at these types of restaurants really increasing as we see on that graphic there? Absolutely. I think the the soda number is particularly compelling. And I mean, I, and I think only it's only in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years when you think about if you go out to a restaurant, um, it's unlimited refills on on soda. And even at, at, at fast food restaurants now, I don't spend much time in them, but I have noticed that at say at McDonald's, the uh, the beverage section is where the consumers are. They So you can just fill up as much as you want. And I think that's emblematic of how the food culture has changed and how ultimately the, the result is, as you said, pointed out, an, an adult obesity rate that exceeds 40 percent. You know, I didn't even think about the free refills being mm -hmm. such a factor here. And that reminds me of not too terribly long ago, my wife and I went out to eat and uh, I splurged and I got a lemonade. So for me, that that is a splurge. And I remember like, boy, this was tasty. I want a second one. They were like, no free refills. That'll be another $5. And I was like, eh, that's okay. You can keep that second <laughs> lemonade. I will stick with water. So maybe that would be a deterrent there as well. But Dr. Rahman, as we saw, people are spending well in excess of $300 billion dollars every single year on fast food. So we really are. I mean, I, I hate to paint kind of a glum picture here, but we're fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. And, you know, um, as Mr. Reese was saying, it's not just the soda. You know, some of these restaurants offer you unlimited breadsticks or um, <laughs> and that's and that's not a whole grain bread. You know, that's um, that's a very refined bread. Um, but this has just become a problem. And then not to mention the all-you-can-eat buffets, right? That just mm -hmm. sets us up to eat. Now, we've talked about the food quantity. Let's talk about the quality of food. Um, now, this is really fascinating. This study came out of Tufts. And this group does uh, amazing research on nutrition. So they're telling us what the dietary quality of restaurant food has been like in the years 2015 to 2016. And there are, what we see is for full service restaurants, um, over 50% of full service restaurant meals were of poor dietary quality. And um, no surprise that the number is even higher for fast food restaurants where nearly 70% are of poor dietary quality. But what's really important here is 
um, that little number that I circled, you see that little 0.1% on each side? Those are the percentage of restaurant meals, whether full service or fast food, that were of ideal dietary quality, just 0.1%. So let me, let's just pause and think about that, how, how disturbing that is. Can I, can I translate that number? One-tenth of 1% 1 means that for every 1,000 menu items, only one of them is ideal in terms yeah. of your health. One out of every thousand. That is insane. And you know, Chuck, that's not just for fast food. That's for full service too, because we sometimes assume that um, it's just fast food that's an issue, but we're seeing it's across the board, you know, all types of restaurants. Man, that, that is just incredible. Uh, Mr. Reese, let me pivot to you. I don't know how often you get the opportunity to dine out, but uh, when you do, do you find yourself really having to scrutinize the heck out of the menu to try to find a healthy option? Yeah, I, I do not dine out very often. Um, as someone um, Caldwell Esselstyn once said, you know, and every time you dine out, it's really like you're going out into the Wild West <laughs> and you... Uh, there's, as, as we've just talked about, it's unlikely that most of the vast majority of the items on the menu are going to be unhealthy. And we need to remember that the restaurants, what do they fundamentally care about? They just, they want you to, to like the taste of the food and feel like you're getting a good deal. They don't have any particular interest in the health of the food and that ultimately the health of the consumers. So I, um, I'm one of those people who will occasionally even sometimes bring my own food to a restaurant if I'm eating with other people and simply indicate that I might have uh, allergies or dietary restrictions. And uh, it's not always well received, but ultimately, um, you know, I'm more interested in my health than in whether or not the, the server likes having me there. You, sir, are a rebel bringing your own food into a restaurant. How does one tip for bringing your own food into a restaurant? <laughs> yes, it sometimes brings challenges and sometimes the other guests aren't, uh, aren't too happy about it. But um, I, also, uh, I also, I will go to great lengths just to avoid eating out and in particular when I'm traveling. I, I'm one of those people who, you know, brings a full uh, full meal on the airplane with me. And when I stay, when I'm traveling, I typically try to stay in hotels that have kitchens uh, because the last thing I want to do is have to sort of be stuck with the, the choices that are available on airplanes or in restaurants, which again are, are going to be, uh, the vast majority of them are going to be unhealthy. That is such good advice right there. That is such good advice. I always like just look to the mini fridge in the hotel room when I'm traveling. That's a must have. I don't uh, always go with the kitchen. I just try to, you know, what, what can I put in there? Even if it's just carrots and hummus and like, that's what I'm eating for a little while, whatever. But I like the kitchen idea. I'm going to lift that. That is that is good advice. Um, Dr. Rahman, before we move on, um, could you uh, really quickly define for us what an ideal meal is when uh, we're, re we're talking about the quality of restaurant food here? Yeah. So the, the way the research team defined ideal quality was basically the type of foods that we talk about, you know, rich in fiber, um, low in saturated fat, low in overall fat, uh, low in processed ingredients, low in added sugars. Um, and what they found was that most of these restaurant meals are high in saturated fat, high in fat, low in fiber, 
and high in sodium. And, um, and that's really the crux of the problem is that they're using processed ingredients. They're not using these wholesome plant-based foods that we talk about that are high in fiber and naturally low in fat. Boy, yeah. There, there it is, fiber. We're, we're just in short supply of that in the standard American diet. But sodium and fat are two things that we have in abundance. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the ways that, uh, you know, your food can help prevent diseases and things like that. I know that that's something that you have also uh, covered extensively uh, in, in your paper. And I know that I believe that you have a slide on that as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, recently there's been a lot in the news. Um, the FDA has recommended that the commercial food industry voluntarily reduce the sodium content of food. Um, and that's because sodium consumption in the U.S. is very high. The average American is consuming about 50% more sodium than they should. So if we look at the recommendations for sodium intake, they are anywhere from 1,500 to 2,300 milligrams a day. Less is always better, especially if you have high blood pressure or heart failure or chronic kidney disease, but the average American is getting 3,400 milligrams a day. So the uh, FDA is now asking for the commercial food industry to voluntarily reduce the amount of sodium in food, but, you know, that's, I don't know how effective that will be. It's definitely a step in the right direction, but clearly sodium is playing a big role in all of this. Yeah, it's literally in almost every kind of food imaginable. It's so important to flip over uh, whatever it is that you're buying at the store and look at the nutrition facts on there. And a lot of times you will just be flabbergasted at the amount of sodium that's in a particular food. Do you have with you a, a breakdown of where the majority of sodium comes from in our diet? Yes. Um, so what's really, um, you know, most often people think, when they think about cutting the sodium in their diet, they're thinking they should get rid of their table salt that they add to the table at the table or when they cook. But this graph from the CDC really captures it. And as we see, over 70% of the sodium in our diet is coming from commercial food. It's coming from processed food or restaurant food. So that's really where the bulk of it is. Um, the sodium that we add at the table or when we cook, that's only about 10% of our daily sodium intake. But we really need to pay attention to these restaurant meals and anything that we buy um, that comes in a jar or frozen or in a package, check that sodium content. Yeah, Mr. Reese, let me come to you for this. And, and just, it, this is just mind blowing to me because before I really started to do the exam room and hunker down and learn a lot about nutrition, when somebody was like, well, you need to cut a lot of sodium, a lot of salt out of your diet, the first thing I thought of, and really the only step I thought that I needed to take was not to put salt on top of my food. Were you under that same impression? I was, and it's easy to be lulled into that. And I think that uh, this this chart is so so compelling. And I think just to, to add to that, um, in terms of kind of the health implications, I, you know, 45% of all adult deaths uh, from diabetes, heart disease, and stroke are a function of an unhealthy diet of which uh, sodium obviously is a big factor. And it just speaks to uh, really just the, the implications of and the, and the great risks associated with 
um, having these diets high, high in sodium and high in sugar and high in fat. And Dr. Rahman, so when somebody is looking to reduce sodium in their diet, before we get to talking about cooking at home or uh, cooking in hotel rooms, um, I, I want to ask you, you know, what advice do you give patients when they come in and maybe they do uh, have an issue with their blood pressure? It's too high and, and they want to get that sodium under control. What are some of uh, the tips that you give them as far as foods that they can get when they're eating out or even buying something at the store? Yeah, you know, really be an educated consumer, read the nutrition label. You know, you alluded to that, Chuck. Whenever you buy something that has a nutrition label, read the nutrition label. And a good rule of thumb to use is if it has more sodium than calories per serving, put it back. That's too much sodium. Um, and if we stay with that rule, we'll generally be right where we land. And if you're dining out and you're going to like a big chain restaurant, they are required to disclose their nutritional information. And you may have seen some of that already. When you order your food, they'll give you the caloric content, but they're not giving you the sodium content or the fat content. To do that, you really have to do some digging and detective work, but it's on there, on their website. Um, it's on a different website. So you have to say restaurant XYZ nutritional information, and then you will find that website and it will be in teeny tiny print, but it's in there and it's just staggering the amount of sodium that's in food. Even desserts can be loaded with sodium. That is an interesting thing. I learned that when I was tallying up all of the um, fat and calories that I used to have with my daily Taco Bell addiction. And I was thinking that, you know, the one thing thing that I didn't have to worry about sodium content with was the caramel empanada that I would eat for dessert. But that thing had almost, almost as much sodium in it as some of the burritos. It was just unbelievable um, how much sodium is just in literally everything. So when you go and you eat out, whether it's a drive through a fast food restaurant, or even at a chain restaurant, there are some hoops that you need to jump through to make sure that you're not eating a sodium bomb. But the easiest way to control your sodium, I would argue, is doing exactly what Mr. Reese was talking about, and that is cooking for yourself. So Dr. Rahman, I'd be remiss here if I didn't ask you about some of the benefits that can come from cooking at home. Yeah, you know, Chuck, so... There are so many great benefits to cooking at home. First of all, we know exactly what's going into our meal. We can see the actual ingredients. When a food comes out in a restaurant, we don't really know. It's guesswork. Um, and when you're cooking at home, emphasize those fruits, the vegetables, the legumes, and the whole grains. And use herbs and spices to flavor your food. So that automatically reduces the sodium content. Um, and then... The other benefits of home-cooked meals is they tend to be lower in saturated fat and fat. They tend to be lower in added sugar because we know exactly how much we're adding. And you can bet they're much lower in sodium. Um, now, of course, assuming we're using fresh ingredients, if we're using processed ingredients uh, like pre-made sauces or dressings, then we do need to check the sodium content of those. Um, so there's so many benefits of preparing our own meals at home. And it's cheaper too. Mr. Reese, before you got into cooking for yourself, were you, were you a big uh, let's eat out kind of a guy? Food uh, for me was always kind of a function of convenience and fuel. And I um, have been an, an fairly active um, in sports uh, for much of my life. And so I just wanted to fill myself up. So it was never 
um, a big priority. And so, yeah, fast food would be something that was, I would say, a regular part of my of my diet. And then certainly a lot of um, just processed foods and recognizing over time and that um, sort of the health risks associated with that and, and how much how much more beneficial it would be to follow a healthier and in particular a plant-based diet um, made it ultimately fairly easy for me once that kind of once I had that recognition to to make the switch and to to really drop uh, the, all of those uh, foods from my diet. Yeah, and so we we do know that eating a healthier diet can lead to reversal prevention of a lot of these chronic diseases that uh, are attributable to, I think you, you two said, 45% of deaths currently in this country. But I want to stick with you here, Mr. Reese, and ask more short term to that. Can you tell a difference physically in, in just your body, how you feel uh, when you eat something that you've prepared at home versus when you do on that rare occasion? Uh, wind up eating something out at a restaurant? Without a doubt. Yeah, it's, I think that, you know, you're, um, I have certainly found my whole digestive system, I think has, has adjusted and it punishes me if I'm eating something that's unhealthy that maybe I didn't have control over at a, say at an event, at a dinner, whereas, and that's why it's so much, uh, I place such a premium on trying to control what I eat. And again, traveling with food, uh, because I just, I ultimately feel better. I sleep better. I think I perform uh, my sort of, I, I'm an active swimmer. I think I swim better when, after I've eaten those meals. Um, so for me, it's, uh, it's not, it's not any question uh, that, um, that I, this is, you know, this is a sort of a nutritional regimen that I want to uh, uh, maintain. And I think that now, given the circumstances that we're facing with COVID-19, more than ever, it's important that we do look at the quality of nutrition um, that we are fueling our bodies with. And so, Dr. Rahman, I got to ask you, I mean, when you look at the fact that just one-tenth of one percent of these restaurant meals are of ideal quality, how do you think that this fast food nation that we live in and the food choices that we're making are playing into the current state of things with this pandemic? Yeah, you know, they're, they're playing a huge role, Chuck, because that meal that we have at a restaurant, um, it may take us 10 minutes to eat it, but its impact stays for a long time. And, you know, one uh, unhealthy and food is addictive. And food quantity is addictive. So if we eat a meal that's six times larger than what we need to eat at a restaurant, that doesn't just stop there. It translates into bigger portion sizes at home too. And if we eat a high fat meal at a restaurant, then that's what we crave at home too. So it's just sort of a ripple effect. It really makes a profound difference. And Mr. Reese, how did your cravings change over time when you uh, gravitated toward this healthier diet? Did, did you find yourself craving these types of unhealthy foods less and less? Or was it, you know, kind of a, a deal where as soon as you changed your diet, the craving stopped? Yeah, the cravings really did stop. Fortunately, I found that um, I think partly be because of the, you know, becoming an educated consumer and, and realizing just how unhealthy a lot of these foods were and how, and by, and the, the flip side being how healthy the fruits and the vegetables and foods high in fiber were, it was fairly easy to make the change. And also I think it's important to point out, you discover all sorts of new foods 
when you adopt this diet. And for me, uh, one of the one of the foods I came I certainly never had is what's known. You can find them in Whole Foods. They're often under the name of Japanese sweet potatoes or Korean sweet potatoes. And um, they're fabulous. And they're also, they're easy to cook and they're also very easy to travel with. And so typically I, whether traveling domestically or even foreign, I will often keep them in a bat in my suitcase and um, you can simply put them in the oven and, um, and they're quite uh, satiating as well as being delicious. And one of the more interesting points that you both raised in the article that you penned for uh, MedPage today was uh, the fact that with the boom of food delivery services, uh, these types of unhealthy restaurant foods are more readily available than ever. Um, how much of a factor like do you think that that too is contributing to the food choices that we're making now that it's literally uh these types of food the big mac the french fries that are three times larger than they used to be it's literally just right in the palm of our hands dr ramon yeah i think it's a huge problem um you know this always makes me chuckle because i was talking to a friend once and i said how often do you eat out do you eat out a lot she and she said no sometimes i just carry out um so <laughs> You know, it's, and now it's become even easier. We don't have to drive somewhere. We have all these, we can, at the palm of our hand is our smartphone that we can pretty much control the world with. Um, we can order anything and it can be delivered. And it's adding to that. The convenience of ordering food is a big trade-off with the, with the health profile. So we really have to think about all that. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I just pulled up uh, Uber Eats here on my phone and uh, within a half an hour, I can have anything I want from McDonald's delivered right to my door. So uh, that's kind of a, a scary thought. And it's not just McDonald's. It's literally every fast food restaurant known to man. And that's the other thing with these apps. It's like there are very few healthy choices on there. You really have to go out of your way to find a restaurant that will deliver to you that offers healthy choices. Matter of fact, I'll go, I'll take it a step further and, and tell you, and this is kind of concerning to me, is that I was speaking with someone who owns what is arguably the healthiest restaurant in all of the Washington, D.C. metro area. And she was telling me that they had to stop using uh, these uh, these apps, um, one, just because it wasn't cost effective for them, but but two, I don't think that there was necessarily that appetite for that type of food when somebody opens up and, and Uber Eats, you know, they are gravitating toward these chain restaurants and these fast food restaurants, uh, Mr. Reese. I mean, is this, do you agree with Dr. Ramon here that this is really kind of problematic? Absolutely. I think that, it, you know, the COVID, I was hoping, you know, would be an inflection point and raise greater awareness around obesity and the risks associated with it. And, uh, and we've certainly seen data showing that, that obesity rates have been rising over the past 18 months. And I think that there are a variety of reasons for that, but certainly the, the expanded access to, to unhealthy food from deliveries is, is contributing to that. And I, uh, I think it's a worry, worrying trend and everyone's all for convenience and that's great. But, you know, there, I just recently came across a study looking at countries and, and how much time people in each country spend uh, eating. And the study actually showed that the more time people devote to eating, the lower the obesity rates. And it's, I think it's a, what it speaks to is if you are spending time cooking, 
you're more likely to be eating healthier food. And we're just, we seem in the United States, we seem to be going in the opposite direction. And I think we're going to, we're already paying the price and we're going to continue to pay a price for, for many years to come. And that brings us to uh, arguably what is the uh, most important point of this entire conversation. And that is, you know, again, cooking at home. And Dr. Rahman, this is the perfect time to talk about Simply Plant-Based, uh, which is just just such a, a great book that is chock full of recipes that are really easy for people to make at home that can help reverse this obesity trend. I mean, I'm just flipping through it right now. And there is something for everyone in here, uh, right down to the uh, hardcore sports fan in your life. I, I, I'm on a page page 116 in the book uh, for cauliflower wings that are absolutely delicious and will knock your stocks off. So when you were putting all of these recipes together, how mindful were you of the way that people are currently eating and the need to kind of offer them healthier alternatives to that? You know, very mindful because what I really wanted was for people to um, enjoy the food. You know, people have to enjoy the food. If they don't enjoy it, then they won't eat it but then it also needs to be easy to make. Nobody wants to slave away for hours in the kitchen. We wanna just be in and out as quickly as we can. Um, but then this part was really important to me. It has to be nutritious. You know, there's no point whipping together a meal if it's not healthy. We need it to be tasty, easy, and delicious. And that, those were my three requirements when I put the recipes together. Um, and I had a lot of uh, tasters at home that were eager to help me finesse those. <laughs> Why didn't you call me? I would have, I mean, so volunteered for that job. Um, and and <laughs> the final question is this. So we know that uh, one-tenth of 1% 1 of all restaurant meals are of ideal quality, but of the recipes in Simply Plant-Based, what is that percentage at? Oh, I, I would say very close to 100%. You know, we're using whole grains, we're using legumes and fruits and vegetables, we're really minimizing any processed food and minimizing the fat and sodium and optimizing the fiber. So you can enjoy these guilt-free. Mr. Matthew Reese, Dr. Vanita Rahman, I want to thank you both so very much for being here today. Uh, just a phenomenal article that you two have penned. And uh, again, Dr. Rahman, congratulations on the release on the book. And, you know, thank you both very much for just shedding some incredible light on a topic that really goes so overlooked, but can make such a big difference in the lives of so many people. So thank you both very much for being here. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Remember that there is a link to Dr. Rahman and Mr. Reese's article in the episode notes, along with another link to purchase Dr. Rahman's Simply Plant-Based Cookbook. At the top of the show, I said that eating out could quite literally snuff out your health with very few exceptions. But we do have one of those exceptions with us here today. His name is Greg Roseboom. He is a health-driven entrepreneur who grew tired of not being able to find anywhere healthy for his family to eat. And so he became a man on a mission to rectify that problem. Now, Greg, despite knowing the unhealthy trends of supersized portions that are packed with a full day's worth of fat and calories, well, his business background told him that there was a real opportunity here. The market was wide open for healthier options, the ones that he wanted, and he thought perhaps 
people like him would be as hungry for health as they were for Meat Lover's Pizza or the triple cheeseburgers that are so popular. And thus, the chain of plant-based restaurants known as Fruitive was born. You're about to hear the inside story of Fruitive's opening, including the adventurous way that their menu was put together and also how they've been able to navigate the challenges presented by the COVID-19 pandemic, pivoting their model to meet the needs of customers who were growing even more aware of their own health and putting an ultra premium on fueling their body with the best energy possible. Mr. Greg Roseboom, founder of Fruitive, welcome back to the exam room, my friend. Thank you for having me back. You were the, really the only person I thought of to follow up on that interview that I just had with Dr. Rahman and Matthew Reese. Um, as a restaurateur, you are offering really something that is so counter, 180 degrees to like 99% of the restaurants out there. What is the appetite right now from your customers for healthier plant-based options? Yeah, that, that's, you know, thanks for the... Um... The, the opportunity to talk about, you know, what we've been able to do with Fruitive. When we first opened our first location in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia, there was literally around 4,000 restaurants in the entire area. And we were the very first and only plant-based, fully plant-based restaurant. And so you're right. Like there's just a dearth of really good, healthy food out there. And, and that's really why we started. We, my parents were traveling around the country and, and I remember them calling me one night and saying, Hey, Greg, can you look on the internet to see if you could help us find, you, you know, a, a restaurant to, to eat in and the city we're traveling through. And I, I remember getting online and, and looking and looking and, and why are there not healthy options out there um, that you, you try to use organic ingredients, plant-based that really are um, serving the type of food we would want to serve to our own family members. And, and so that's where the idea really came from all the way back in 2011. And I just was struck with this idea you know, we, many of us, we, we try to eat healthy at home and we go out and there's not, there's not the options out there. And so um, what we've really seen uh, as, as we've grown our brand into the Washington DC area is uh, we've really seen that we attract uh, those people that do choose um, to eat healthy uh, and at home and, and, and they really fall in love with, with our brand and that we really are trying to take care of them in the same way that that we want to take care of our own parents, our own children, our own family members. And look, I am not paid by Fruitive whatsoever. Uh, so I will say for free over and over again that I have fallen in love with your brand. Um, there is nothing out there that tops your cacao pal. So help me God, Greg. Every time I walk by Fruitive, I have to stop in and get the cacao pal. It is just knock your socks off kind of good. Um, I got to ask you though, so you were talking about this dearth of restaurants out there with the healthier options. And I think that people would look at that one of two ways. They could say, well, yeah, I mean, that's a heck of an opportunity. The market is wide open right there. Or you could look at it with a more pessimistic lens and say, well, there's a reason why there aren't those healthier options out there because frankly, people aren't that interested in it. So how did you weigh that? I mean, that had to have entered your mind a little bit. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and when we opened, we weren't, we were really not sure how well received we would be. And to be really honest, 
uh, we were scared on our first day that we we didn't want too many people to come because we were like, okay, let's let's kind of just uh, open the doors and hopefully not too many people got, come and we'll get we will get used to serving our first customers. And what we saw was just you know beyond what we thought. We had so many people just coming in, and then day two we had planned on opening the store or the the restaurant and uh and 20 minutes before we opened we had a crowd of people outside just waiting to get in the door and and it's just been phenomenal to see people respond and say yes this is what we want this is what we need um you know you just look at uh you know so many people are going into the grocery stores they're choosing not everybody but they're choosing enough organic ingredients that you know, the stores are selling, they sell what people buy. And so people are, they're going in, they're buying their veggies or they're buying the, or they're choosing organic ingredients, at least a, a certain percentage of the time. But when they go to restaurants, what options do they have? And so we really have just seen that there's a niche uh, uh, market and, and a need out there for, for people that are looking for that healthy plant-based food. Well, let's ask the most important and certainly most fun question. How did you come up with an initial menu, man? That must have been a heck of a fun process. It was it was loads of fun. I, I, I it was just one of the most exciting adventures of my life. Uh, what we did is, is we said, let's, let's go all over the country. Let's go to New York City. Let's go to Los Angeles. Let's go to all the major cities up to Seattle and, and Austin and Denver and in Miami, and we, we just traveled to all the major cities. And I went to every single restaurant I could find that either had some healthier ingredients or that was saying they were organic or that I went to every smoothie bar, every acai bowl place, every juice bar, every vegan restaurant. And I just went and we learned about what was out there. And then we pulled different ideas from all the different concepts. And we really created something that was unique and that stood alone. And, uh, and and so that was the fun part. I really wanted to have something where my children, my parents, uh, my family, my friends, my community could go any time of the day, whether it's morning, uh, lunchtime or dinner time. They could go in and they could find something that was going to be healthy, but also kind of met that their appetite needs. And so. Um, so, yeah, that that was I'm glad you asked that question. That was a fun part of the process of, of building the concept is just traveling around and seeing what was out there. Uh, yeah, I would think that all of the work that went into that, just that process alone would totally make everything worth it. I mean, just unbelievable how much fun that must have been. Um, <laughs> What what is the what is the best seller on Fruitive's menu? Obviously, you know I'm I'm partial to the cacao pal, but like, yeah. what is the number one item on your menu right now? Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's hands down, it's our avocado toast. Oh people wow! Just, yeah, people just love their avocado toast. So um, so yeah, that's that's our menu item. Actually, we made a big change a, a couple years ago. We we used to have a little oil on the spread inside the avocado toast, but after I read um, some books from from um, Dr. Bernard and some from Dr. Greger. And, and um, I, I just was realized, you know, I don't know that the oil is really the best thing for us to use. So we just took that right off the menu. We make pizza now, which is popular and, and pizza doesn't have any oil on it. It's not greasy at all. It's just, you know, we really try to make our products to be, to be the highest standard that we can make it while still making it taste good. I would, yeah, I would imagine that the pizza is also going to be quite popular right behind that avocado toast. I didn't realize until relatively recently that pizza is the most consumed food 
in America. I think that the average person will eat something like 6,000 slices of it during their lifetime. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been fun to have pizza on the menu and, and it's just neat to see people when they come in and have it for the first time. And then they start coming in and every time after that, that's again, they just have to have the pizza. So it's, it's nice because it makes you feel good. And I've had so many pizza slices in my life where I don't feel good afterwards. And, and so it's nice to have some pizza where I really feel, feel like, man, I just got something that made me, made me go get ready to go and take on the day here. So oh, yeah, great. I don't think that there's a person listening right now who hasn't had that same pizza experience as you when you eat it. And then you're like, uh Oh, you know, like 20 minutes later, you're just, ugh, you know, yeah, uh, but, yeah. but not with the, not with the fruits of pizza, not with the healthier plant-based yeah. option. Um, let me pivot here and ask you about how things have been for fruitive during the pandemic. Obviously, that has thrown a major wrench into the entire restaurant industry. You guys already niche. How have things been for you over the past year and a half? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. You know, to, to be honest, it's uh, because we have different uh, locations. Um, some of our locations have done better than others. Our Virginia Beach location is located kind of in an area where it's near where there's a Whole Foods and there's a Trader Joe's. And so even through the pandemic, um, while people people have always still had to get their groceries. And so because we're located in that uh, kind of shopping center where there's grocery stores around us, we were able to stay uh, fairly busy there um, even throughout the, the pandemic. You know, of course, we had to shut down uh, along with everyone else and, and it was a trial. But um, really uh, where we've really... Uh, hurt more was in our downtown locations um, where there's not as many people come into the offices, some, especially in Washington, DC, many of the offices still haven't uh, opened up and required their employees to come back to the office. And so that's really um, hurting us in our downtown locations. Uh, so we, we, you know, anybody who's, who's in the, the Metro DC area who, who, who comes into the city, we'd love to, we'd love to see you either at our DuPont circle location or our, or our city center uh, location, but yeah, it's uh, it's still impacting us. But we we've uh, we've been making it through. Yeah, and you guys have uh, been utilizing delivery services as well, using that kind of as a lifeline in those locations, like the downtown stores, uh, where there aren't so many apartments around it as there are office buildings. Right? Has that helped you guys out? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the delivery services, we, 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 as soon as the pandemic hit, we just signed up for all of them, everything that was available. We said, all right, let's, let's deliver to whoever, whoever wants the healthy food to get into their home. So yeah, you're right. That's been a, a, a great uh, lifeline for us. And do you think that because the pandemic has kind of brought health into the forefront for virtually everyone, do you think that you're seeing even more conscious consumers at Fruitive right now? We are. We have gained some some new regulars, I would say, some new people that are saying, "Hey, I need to eat healthier," and that's going to help you know help me um, you know live healthier, my family. Um, at the same time, it's been shocking for to me to see people turn to their comfort food. You know, you've seen sales at some of these fast food places. You've just seen them skyrocket through through the uh, through the pandemic. And and I think what part of that what that is is people are going through difficult times. And, and they, they're overwhelmed, they're stressed, and they turn to what's comfortable. And we really have to, you know, we really have to get people's uh, to say, hey, like the best way out of this is, is really to, to focus on, on your health. 
Let's talk about the future of healthy restaurants here. Um, every time I see a report about anything related to the plant-based or vegan industries, it's positive. The market trends on that are all positive. So, you know, how bullish are you uh, on the future of healthy eating in terms of restaurants? That's a great question. There, there's just no doubt in my mind. You know, you know, you consider we've been talking about health, but you know, I'm really big on on our environment and you know the impact of the meat industry, <clears throat> the negative impact on our environment. Really, there is there's nothing uh, better that we can do uh, for our environment than eating plant based food. No question. So we really, as a world, we have to come together and consider how we're producing our food and what's going to keep us, uh, uh, you know, creating a better world for our for our children and our grandchildren. And, and the way we're going to do that is by encouraging people to eat their plant based foods. And um, and so I, I have no doubt in my mind that the future is plant based. Have you ever sat back and just kind of arms behind the head and thought to yourself, like calculated how much you've, you're reducing your carbon footprint, like how the fruitive carbon footprint compares to McDonald's? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's shocking. You know, it's just really is shocking. You know, what, when you, when you, when you start to look at the, um, the impact on the environment that you can have, uh, positive impact that you can have simply by changing your diet, it's just phenomenal. And so there's, there's, there really is is no, nothing that uh, compares to eating plant-based when it comes to um, protecting our environment. Well, let's end with this. We see the, the, the positives there with the health, the environment, animal welfare. We haven't even touched on that just yet, but all upside to that. Uh, plus the market trends are looking upward and fruitive. You want to spread that far and wide. There are franchise opportunities available, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. We'll just come to our website, fruitive.com. If you're interested in franchising, just please get in touch with us. We uh <clears throat> it's really crazy because the <clears throat> we launched franchising literally in February 2020. And so we had our first big discovery day. It was so exciting. We had people come in, we signed our first franchisee up, and then boom, we had to shut down uh due to COVID. And so, and so that's been, uh, to be honest, it's been, you know, we, we had to just hunker down and say, we're going to make it through this difficult time, but we're going to have to hunker down and focus on just, um, focused on, on our brand and making sure we, we get through this, uh, safely. And, and, uh, and so we're, but we're still excited about talking to people about franchising as, as we start looking at coming out of the pandemic and, and continuing to grow. Uh, oh, you, I, I can't let you off the hook. My wife just slid me a note. She's like, ask him to talk a little bit more about the pizza. What is on the pizza? Walk us through the entire pizza process. Apparently, I know what's for dinner tonight now. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, my wife, she, she she makes pizza for our family plant-based. Of course, we have a plant-based home. I have, uh, you know, I have five children ages uh, eight to 18. And, and we're just, we're all plant-based. We're a plant-based family and we love our food. We're just, we love having people over to our house and feeding last night. We had the most incredible chili. Friday night is our pizza night. And it's, it's, it's like the best night of the week. It's just amazing. Uh, and, and so at, at Fruitive, we always, our mindset is we treat people the way we want our family treated. And so when it comes to our pizza, you, you just, you can't even describe it with words. You need to actually come in and taste it. It's just out of this world. You know it's good when it's indescribable. Like if you need to create a word to talk about how good something is, it's just I, I there there are no words. Just try it. That's what the man is saying. 
just tried the pizza for goodness sake. By the way, you said chili. Uh, the chili at Fruitive, also out of this world good. I mean, just amazing. You and I have sat down and had a couple of bowls of yeah. that ourselves. So good. So good. Well, Greg, uh, I do appreciate your time very much today, my friend, and I wish you nothing but success into the future. Thank you. It was it was really good to see you again, Chuck, and I, and I look forward to meeting up at, at Fruit of one of these days. We'll have that cacao pal. Deal. Deal. <laughs> Pizza, cacao pal. You got a date, my man. If you would like to check out Fruitive's menu, and I really hope you do, you can find a link to it right now in the episode notes. I'll tell you, their harvest chili is also on point. So check that out if you get the chance. And then, of course, the cacao pow or the Tuscan wrap, also phenomenal. Those are my three favorites. But really, you can't go wrong with anything that comes from their kitchen. It is all good. And there is no oil. All it is is a surefire way to a healthy and happy belly. Of course, the reality is, though, that finding restaurants like Fruitive is not always easy, even if you're using something like the Happy Cow app. But eating at home, though, that can always be a healthy option for you. But if you're new to eating a plant-based diet or just starting to think about making that turn, the doctors and dietitians here at the Physicians Committee have come up with just the thing to help. It's called our 21 Day Vegan Kickstart app, and it walks you through everything from meal planning to easy ingredient swaps to even how to keep the cost down when you're shopping at the store. Because despite the popular opinion, just because you're eating healthy does not mean that you need to break the bank. The 21 Day Vegan Kickstart is a guide for the first three weeks of your new diet. It will teach you the fundamentals of health that hopefully will keep you going a lot longer than those 21 days. Hopefully, it can keep you healthy for a lifetime. And the link to download that right now for free is in the episode notes. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee, please go ahead and do that now. You can do that on Apple Podcast or Spotify. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating because that can help us get this information to people who feel that they are hopelessly trapped in an unhealthy body. Those who don't know that genetics do not have to be their destiny. Let's turn their health fortunes around. And one of the easiest ways we can all do that is by subscribing to the exam room by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever shows are available. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to all of our amazing guests, Dr. Vanita Rahman, Matthew Reese, and of course, Greg Roseboom. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.